When is it that you feel most emboldened to ask God for a miracle? You feel kind of most like, God, I want you. Is it when you're in trouble? Like, you know, sickness or something like that? Is it when you're pinned in a corner? My guess is it's not when you have failed. Like, you know, if you blew it on a Sunday, you dishonored God, you you sinned. I seriously doubt for most of us on Monday, that's not the day where you wake up and you go for gold and ask God for the most incredibly huge, audacious miracle. That's probably not the way it goes. Unless you're Joshua. Because that's exactly what he did. He made a mess of things. He did. He made an arrangement with his enemy. He did something that God asked him not to. God had given him parameters of the nations that he was not to make a covenant with. They were his enemies. He was to extract them, get rid of them, get them out of the way because they were pagan nations. And Joshua, the scripture says he trusted his sight. He trusted his senses, his taste, and he didn't seek the Lord and he got duped. And he made a covenant with a nation that he wasn't supposed to. And after that, He asked God for the most outlandish miracle in the world. He told God, he said, God, I want you to stop the sun square up in the middle of the sky. And I want you to stop the moon. And I want you to suspend both of them for 24 hours while we mop up this battle. Why? How? How, how would he ever have the courage to ask God on that kind of a day? Because I think for most of us, we might come to God when we've served well. We might come to God when we've been pretty obedient. We might come to God when, you know, when we've kind of studied the scriptures and we're feeling good about ourselves. But seldom would we ever come to God when we have failed. Not Joshua. After one of his worst moments, he asked for one of the most outlandish miracles in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe in miracles. I believe God still does them. And I believe we still need them. I believe that we need God to intervene in our world. I think we need God to intervene in Ukraine. I believe we need God to intervene in Salem. I believe we need God to intervene, not just in election seasons, but we need God to intervene all the time. And because of that, I'm interested in this text because it speaks to us about how do we ask God, what is it like, what does it mean for me to ask God to intervene and to have the kind of boldness and the kind of relationship with God that I can ask him to stop the sun in the middle of the sky. And it begins 
interestingly enough, with our failure. What was it? Joshua decided to honor his word, even if it meant defending his enemy. And that's what he chose to do. He understood that commitments are only good if they're backed up. Now, not everyone does that. A lot of people make commitments. Uh, Sometimes they make commitments, but they don't intend to back them up. They make commitments when they're caught. Sometimes, I remember a lady, she made a commitment to not gamble anymore. She got caught, and she was gambling all kinds of money. She was getting her paycheck, and she was spending it. Uh, She'd make her way down the road, to down Highway 22, and spend as fast as she got it. And she got caught, and her and her husband and I had a conversation. But as soon as the dust settled and as soon as kind of things settled, she kind of, the pull was strong. And her commitment kind of waned after what? Things went back to normal. Sometimes we make a commitment when we get caught. Sometimes we make a commitment when we're in trouble. We get in trouble and sometimes people get in trouble when they get caught or, you know, they, they get caught seeing something on a screen and, and all of a sudden, man, I'm telling you what, the wife is mad, you know, and, and so it's like, oh, I'll never watch that again. I'll put something on my screen or I'll put something on my computer and it's like, I will make a commitment. I will never watch that kind of stuff again. And that lasts for a while. There's no internal change. There's no dramatic alteration of the heart. It's just a sin management technique. But the commitment only lasts for a little while. Sometimes the commitment is a leverage. I had a friend who leveraged God. God, I have a sin. It was a sin he struggled with for 20 years and he, he tried to leverage God. God, I will, I will, if you help me conquer this sin, then I will do this for you. He was kind of like, I'll serve you over here, God, if you will help me win this battle over here. So it's not an uncommon thing. I see people do it all the time. God, I'll give this over here if you help me win this over here. It's a leverage point. It didn't work. But Joshua knew that a word given needs to be a word fulfilled. And he knew that he needed to serve his enemy. His enemy were the Gibeonites. Now, these were interesting people. I think they were kind of, in some ways, wise. The scripture tells us that they were a royal nation. They were kind of high class. What does that mean? Well, number one, they were larger than AI. It means that they probably were a little richer than AI. And at least we know for certain, because it says in the text, that they had a better military than AI. These folks were, uh, they, they had better soldiers. And they had to be a little smarter. Why? Because even though they had better soldiers, they went to, to Joshua and said, hey, God's with you. You fight. When you fight, God's with you and you win. So all of these nations are conspiring against us and we are in trouble and we're going to get routed because there's like five of them and there's one of us and we need you because God's with you. The question is, why did Joshua sustain a victory? More importantly, why did he ask for a miracle and God responded, yes.
Because I think number one is because he aligned himself with God's divine promises. He trusted God's divine promises. It says in chapter 10, verse 8, God was speaking to Joshua and he says, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, I understand some of you who read the Old Testament say, well, pastor, we we don't have those divine promises because this is the nation of Israel and we're not the nation of Israel. We're the church. You're right. We don't have the divine promises because we're not the nation of Israel, but we have actually even better promises. Remember in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses and you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have a power and you're going to share the gospel and it's going to spread like wildfire and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the Holy Spirit's going to go ahead of you and this seed that is going to come in you, it's also going to convict people and this gospel is going to spread everywhere. I mean, Joshua, you're just going to defeat a nation. You have a divine power that is going to spread throughout the world. But the principle is still the same. If you want to walk in the power of God, if you want to see victory, if you want to see God do the miraculous Joshua says, you got to walk in his promise. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5. If you want to bear fruit and you want to see the fruit of the spirit, you need to keep in step with the spirit. You need to walk in alignment with the spirit. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, if you want to manifest the power of the spirit, you ought to be filled with the spirit. You have to come under the full influence of the spirit. It's really the same principle. Joshua says, I want to walk in the authority or the promise of the spirit. Why? Because he knows what it means when you don't. He had to do 36 death notifications. He had to knock on 36 doors and inform 36 wives, your husband died because we didn't take God's word seriously. What does it look like when you walk in the promise of God? Notice verse 10. God routed them. The Lord chased them. The Lord struck them. The Lord sent hail upon them. If you want to see the miraculous and you want to see God do the miraculous, it really begins before the prayer. Aligning your heart to say, God, where are the promises that you've given to us? Not only as individuals, as children of the living God, but also as the church. What are those things you've called us to? What are those things you've given to us? One that I would give to you, that I would encourage you, or just look for all of the promises that are related to the word of God. There are dozens of them. If you look at the word of God, it will teach you, it will reprove you, it will make you wise, it will uh, convict you, it will make you uh, equipped for every good work. You want to be the best employee in the world. You want to see yourself experience 
promotions become a student of the word of God. You want to ask God's blessing upon your life financially, then, then become a student of the word of God because it promises that very thing. When you move in alignment with the promises of God, then you can invite the miraculous spirit of God to advance your life because the word of God promises that. Secondly, Joshua moves next into what I call a developed faith-inspired strategy. God tells him, I'm going to give them into your hand. Now, they're in Gilgal. It's a 25-mile journey to Gibeon. When they were in Gibeon and they made that 25-mile journey, it took them three days the first time they made it. Remember, they had conquered Ai and they were going up to Gilgal. Why did they go up to Gilgal? Because they wanted to reset themselves. They went up to Gilgal because that's where Moses gave his last speech. That was where they chiseled a new set of the Ten Commandments. That's where they kind of reset themselves as the nation of Israel to say, we're going to walk with God and this is how we're going to do it. And they were camped there and they had built an altar. It was their fourth altar. And they were kind of having some worship services. God comes to them. They made a mistake. And now God says, you need to go defend your enemy. And I'm going to give them into your hands. Joshua, it says, after an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. So God tells Joshua, I want you to make your way to Gibeon. The first time he makes that journey, it takes him three days. God tells him, hooftail. Doesn't tell you that God says, I want you to do it in three days. Doesn't tell you, I want you to do it in a day. It seems to me that this is Joshua's deal. It seems to me that Joshua sits down with his soldiers and says, this is what we're going to do. Here's our strategy. We're going to make this trip in a day. We're going to catch them by surprise because we're going to do it at night. Now, they're not going to expect that we're going to do this at night because it's an uphill trek. And if you do this 25-mile uphill journey, they're not going to expect that we're going to fight them. Who's going to do a 25-mile uphill journey and expect to fight? I don't know about you. I don't. After a 25-mile journey all night long, I want breakfast. I don't want to fight. Now, you're going to say, Pastor, these guys, I mean, they walk everywhere. I don't care. 25 miles is 25 miles. Now, there's somewhere in the Christian life that we got this weird thing that we put together. And it sounds like this. I need to get out of the way and let God do his thing. Somehow that's faith. Can I just suggest, I don't see that in the Bible. Because in this text, it seems to me, I'm going to give them into your hand. And Joshua marches 25 miles in the middle of the night to win this battle. It is a faith-inspired journey. He has to take it. James says, faith without works makes no sense. A battle without a soldier is not going to be a battle. 
If we're going to see God do the miraculous and win this battle, I need a soldier. If we're going to win this battle, you got to ante up, Joshua. you got to make the journey. Of course God is going to give them into your hands. And God does. He does the supernatural. He confuses them and he sends a bunch of hailstorms. But they still have to make the journey. If we're going to love this city and we're going to see the city changed and come to Christ, you still have to share the gospel. If your neighbor's going to come to Christ, God can save them without you, but he rarely does. He's going to send a messenger. If God's going to save your grandchildren and your kids don't love Jesus, that's okay. He's going to send grandma and grandpa. If God's going to save this city, he's more likely than not going to send us. We can ask for the miraculous and God can send a blimp and drop all kinds of tracks from heaven. He just normally won't do that. He's going to send us. And so what I see in this is a faith-inspired strategy that puts together what I see in the scriptures all the time. This marvelous faith that God has sent with a promise. And this soldier who's willing to march all night long. 25 miles. Now, is God participating? Absolutely. He sends hail. Now, if you're from the Northwest, you think, hail? Really? I mean, I grew up in the Northwest. Hail is usually the size of a pea. I mean, that's not even going to kill an ugly cat. When Carrie and I moved to Colorado, I was teaching one day and uh, at the seminary and um, we got over the intercom. Please go and get your automobiles. A hailstorm is coming. Get your automobiles undercover. And I was like, what? Hailstorm? Get your automobiles? What are they doing that for? And uh, everyone left. I mean, they didn't even ask permission. They just got up and ran out the door. What are you guys doing? I'm not done lecturing. Get back in here. They were gone. So I decided, might as well go out. Everyone else is. My car was totaled. I didn't move it. Every window broken. I went out there. I picked up a hail ball. It was the size of a baseball. I'm from the Northwest. In the Midwest, God hails. He doesn't like the Midwest. He doesn't like automobiles in the Midwest. He doesn't like roofs in the Midwest. Our roof was totaled. Our trailer was totaled. Everything you have was totaled. The reality is God kills people with hail. And he did. The scripture is amazing. More people were killed by hail than than the sword. But the reality is he still used the soldiers. Before the miraculous, before Joshua ever showed up and said, God, stop the sun, he showed up. And before we ever ask God to do the miraculous, and it's okay to ask, we're going to, you got to show up. Before you ever ask God to change this state, And it needs the miraculous. 
You got to show up. And you have. And God puts together, and James says, when you put faith together with works, when you put faith in God together with loving the poor, when you put faith in God together with loving your neighbor, and you invite God to do the miraculous, he shows up. And that's where Joshua leads us to the next point. To pray a faith-inspired prayer. Joshua makes the crest. And he comes up and he sees something that's amazing. His soldiers are routing the place. And the enemy is hightailing it out of there. And the text really doesn't tell us. You have to read between the lines. But it seems to me, as best as you can tell in this text, that Joshua looks at it. And for some reason comes to this conclusion. We need to finish this today, God. And in fact, I think in some other situations, Joshua later discovers some moments that when you don't finish the job right, it comes back to get you. Goliath is an illustration. It's for another day. And Joshua decides, God, we got to finish this today. And he comes to the conclusion, we don't have enough time. And he looks up to God, God, we have a job to do, but we don't have enough time. Stop the sun. One of the most outlandish prayers in the world. And God says, yep. Now look at all that has happened. Promise. March. Hail. And then bold prayer. But don't forget the failure. And I think that may be key. Because if I come to God on my strong days, then I'm more likely than not to trust my obedience. But if I come to God on the days of my failure, or the days when I'm not coming to him with my obedience then what am I trusting I'm trusting my identity I'm trusting the promise maybe that's what Paul means when he says I am discovering the joy of trusting my weakness boasting in my weakness Because it's then I am experiencing Christ's power. When I am fully aware, not of my obedience, not of my service, not that I'm a pastor, but that I'm a child of the living God, that I am a product of grace, that I'm a recipient of the resurrection and the blood of Christ. It is in that moment, my friends, that I am participating with the miraculous God and I am free to ask for the divine God to enter this world and do the glorious manifestation of his power.
Why? Because I'm trusting it here. Maybe the point of Joshua is on your worst day might be your most powerful day. The day where you make your worst covenant might be the day where God is saying, you can ask me. Is that permission to fail? No. But it is a lesson. It's a lesson what Paul teaches us. I'm learning to boast in my weaknesses. I'm learning to walk with a limp and not be embarrassed of it. I'm not trying to hide my shame, be afraid of my past. I'm becoming comfortable. I'm okay walking openly. Why? Because I've been bought. I've been bought with the blood of Christ. I'm no longer my own, the scripture says. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with my life. How do I honor him? I ask for a miracle. Please, Father, would you stop the sun? We have your work to finish today. At the end of V-Day, Tommy was stuck with his troop, pinned in by a German artillery team. The Germans had complete advantage. They were absolutely sitting ducks. And Tommy whispered a prayer to the Lord. God, the only way we're going to live is if you do a miracle. The only way this entire platoon of 50 men is going to live and ever see our families again is if you do a miracle. Joel was writing to his mom the story of that prayer. And he said, Mom, A fog bank rolled in between the two hills and the platoon that we were in became completely covered and unrecognizable to the Germans. We escaped and we reorganized away from their sight before we took another step We stopped and we asked Tommy, would you lead us in thanks to God who heard your prayers and sent a fog bank so that we could live? My friends, this city needs some miracles. My guess is your life needs some. Now, I understand some of your unanswered prayers might be the very thing that says, I don't know if I want to risk another miracle prayer. My guess is Joshua had some too. 
And so you might have to ask yourself the question, am I willing to risk it one more time? And I say, yeah. Because when facing the impossible, you don't risk it because of your obedience. You risk it because of his grace. You don't risk it because you've served well. You risk it because of his blood. So don't be afraid to ask. You don't risk it because he's answered all your prayers. You risk it because he loves you. Don't be afraid to ask because God's not done doing miracles. He hears the prayers of people.